Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. We're with Judge Jim Gray. We'll take calls with the judge next hour. Judge, I know as a lawyer, you know, you're required, your creed is to defend the guilty, the innocent, uh, to represent them. Is that difficult for lawyers if you're in a case and you know this guy is guilty, is sin, and that he probably committed this horrendous crime, and you still have to defend them as a lawyer? Is that tough? No, you know... The defense attorneys in criminal cases fulfill an enormously important function, kind of there but the grace of God go I. They simply are required to make the prosecutor do its job, make the system work is the way I describe it. So if the defense attorney requires the prosecutor to submit enough evidence, uh, lawful evidence in court, to show the guilt beyond a doubt based upon reason to 12 neutral jurors of the guilt of the client, then, you know, the guilty finding comes in, but the defense attorney did his or her job. And it's an enormously important function. We all, as citizens, in my view, uh, we have numbers of benefits, of course, for being a citizen of this country. We also have obligations, and one of them is to make the system work within our lives. And I say that you know, it's our government, George, and if it isn't working, it's no one's fault but our own. And it's the same thing with regard to any system. In the criminal defense attorneys perform an enormously important job, even though they happen to know that their client probably is good for that offense. It's a lot better to have nine people who are guilty go free than one innocent person be punished. So well, that's it's true. an important part of the system, and I'm proud of it. And basically it works. Well, and there's no question our system is based on the person is innocent until proven guilty, and uh, that's just the way it's got to be. Uh, even if even, even if you witness somebody shooting somebody, technically he's innocent until he's convicted. And, and precisely right, and it's a part of our system also, George, that we do not punish somebody before they're convicted, and that also means that they no one should be arrested before they're 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 convicted unless they're either a flight risk they're not going to show up for trial or they are a security threat to witnesses or the, or the public and we overdo the pre-trial arrest of numbers of people and that's wrong as well that's an abuse of power so it's up to us to to blow the whistle on this sort of thing and to safeguard our liberties for everyone back to drugs for a second judge what would happen if we legalized everything and created some kind of tiered system of, you know, for getting into the hands of people, setting up clinics and things like that, but we stopped convicting people, using it, putting them in jail, and just made it legal for them. Let's start with Robert Downey Jr. is a very successful artist and and, and actor, actor. making good movies. He's had pretty much a lifelong heroin problem, and and I understand that. But it makes as much sense to me to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol Mm -hmm. problem. It's the same thing. It's a medical issue, but... If Robert Downey Jr., Betty Ford, you or I drive a motor vehicle impaired by, you name it, methamphetamines, alcohol, marijuana, whatever, that's a crime. And the difference is now they are putting our safety at risk. But otherwise, it makes as much sense to me as a libertarian to 
put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for what he puts into his body as it does what he put into his mind. It's none of the government's business. And the, the criminal justice system is really designed for and quite good at protecting us from each other. It's not designed for and really poor at trying to protect us from ourselves. So that's what the war on drugs has tried to do. Hold people accountable as adults for their actions, not what they put into their bodies. So I think you're absolutely right, and I wish more people would understand that. Yeah, me, me too. And we should do with drugs exactly what we do with alcohol. Uh, you know, if it's a certain alcohol limit and somebody's involved in a, a, a moving violation or, God forbid, they hit somebody, uh, you know, they're going to pay the price, and that should be the Precisely same thing with right. drugs. And, you know, when we finally came to our senses and repealed alcohol prohibitions, homicides went down by 40% in the next year in our country, countrywide. And I'm convinced the same thing will happen when we finally repeal drug prohibition. It's the same thing. Well, you also get to start taxing the drug money because those suppliers are going to do it legally because it's no longer illegal. You know, hey, let's take away a lot of money from Mexican drug cartels and juvenile street gangs and other thugs and use it to pay our firefighters and pay our teachers and fix our roads. I mean, how hard (laughs) can this be? People are going to use it anyway. I'm from California. George, for the last decade or more, marijuana has been the largest cash crop in the state of California. Number two is grapes, by the way, but that tells me somebody's using it. So if they are, let's regulate it, control it, tax it, and bring it back under the law. And don't take my word for it. Ask our listeners to ask the next 10 teenagers they find, hey, if you wanted to, what is easier for you to get, marijuana or alcohol? And every last one of those teenagers, if they cared, would say it's easier to get marijuana. Why? Because the illegal dealers don't ask for ID. It's really straightforward. Absolutely. And I think eventually it's going to come to legalization of all this. What do you think? Well, I don't mean to get too technical, but if you're going to talk legal drugs, think aspirin. You know, anybody, your 12-year-old daughter could go to your local pharmacy and buy a case of, 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 of uh, aspirin. Uh, there's no, there's no age restriction. No, they can no do alcohol. that now. There's no advertising, but we need to regulate it and control it like alcohol, and that's what we should do. And as to the other drugs... You know, the heroines, methamphetamines, bring it under the control of medical doctors. It's a, it's a medical issue, and then hold doctors responsible for acting within their, 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 their profession. But otherwise, leaving Al Capone and Mexican drug cartels in charge of this flat out doesn't work, except for the prison guards union. They're thriving. Well, and one could say the CIA is involved in that, too, for black ops money. You never know. You know, you said I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and I was. There was a, a guy named Rob Bonner, who was my chief of criminal at the time. He later was the head of the DEA under the Reagan administration, and he was quoted as saying that the CIA was bringing cocaine into our country. If the head of the DEA was saying that, oh. you know it's true, and it's just disgusting. Well, you know, here's a true story. When we went into Afghanistan and threw out the Taliban, the poppy seed production for heroin in Afghanistan was negligible. The, you know, the Taliban had basically stopped it. And when we went in, the production went through the roof, and I am told that our incredible military, some of the guys were assigned to protect the fields. George, I just finished reading a book by the guy by the name of Scott Horton, who said it was a fool's errand, and he was writing about Afghanistan. And I was shocked, but I know it's true, that 
there's so much of the opium poppy in Afghanistan, the DEA went in there to try to eradicate it, and they were finally told not to because it would destabilize the country's economy completely. And a lot of the people in government in Afghanistan are the drug lords there. So actually he said, and, and my goodness, maybe it's true, that we had United States Marines that were protecting this guy's opium, this what guy's I hear. opium crop in Afghanistan. Talk about an irony, but it's money, George. It's money, and it isn't working. And we've been there since 2001, and we still have America's haven't longest war, and, and we have to get out of Afghanistan. We shouldn't have been there. And you can come back to the Constitution, because only Congress can declare war they have abrogated their responsibility in Vietnam and Korea and, and certainly Afghanistan and Libya and the rest to the president, and we've got to make Congress bring it back. Because if we're going to go to war, we have an absolute obligation to our armed forces to make sure that it's in protection of our national interest and our national security, and that has not been happening in the last 20 years. Judge, uh, two, uh, two incredible cases where juries have awarded apparent cancer victims, billions of dollars, claiming that Monsanto's Roundup caused cancer. Uh, these were juries. They made the decision, and so be it. And uh, Monsanto, you know, other than settlements, going to have to pay out a lot, a lot of money. Are those systems fair? You know, there are lots of protections in the system. I only, I was on the bench for 25 years as a trial court judge, and I think I only changed about four jury verdicts in that 25 years, and I, you can't change them. You just simply say, settle it in this way, or I'll give you a new trial. So I have to say that if the jury heard it under our system, I didn't hear the evidence. So I, I've got to, I, I believe in the jury system, mm -hmm. and by and large, I think they get it right. So if that's what they said, with all the protections, you can appeal, you can have the judge maybe order a new trial. So I, I'm pretty comfortable without knowing the facts of the, any case, that if the jury said it and it's in, within the system, I think that pretty much it's probably correct. We've got uh, Judge Jim Gray with us. We're going to take calls next hour with the judge. If you will have a question, jump aboard. If you have a story, maybe you've been involved in the judicial system and you want to share one of your stories with us, please do so and do that uh, next hour. Judge, where's it headed? I mean, what do you think is going to happen in the next 10 years with the way our court system is based today? I think that our court system, George, regretfully is becoming more and more political. Uh, I, I fault numbers of things with the United States Supreme Court. You go back to the case of Michigan versus White 15 years ago where they said people can run for office and, the, the, and they can run under a political party's banner. We should, we should keep it non-political in the judiciary. And now, of course, we have so much money involved and the rest, I, I fear that we're becoming more political in our judicial system. It's critically important that judges are not only independent, but they're seen as being independent, because judges have two, two requirements, two mandates. One is to do justice as well as we can under the facts and the law and the ethics of our profession, extremely important. But the second is for anyone concerned to believe they're receiving justice. And I think we're falling down as to that. I think people are feeling that our institutions are failing us, which is a cancer upon our society. We've got to keep the independence of the judiciary not only present and actual, but seen as being present and actual. And we're falling away from it. I, I, I'm concerned.
Are you saying it's getting worse than better? Yes, it's getting worse. Uh, everything in our in our country seems to be more polarized. Uh, you see the United States Supreme Court, where there's certain number of so-called conservative justices, so-called liberal justices, and they're voting in that in that direction. And, and I, I'm I'm fearful that uh, our institutional judicial system is seen as becoming more political, which is not a good thing. Our special judge, Judge Jim Gray, with us. His website linked up at coasttocoastam.com. He's also got a couple books out there, War on Drugs and Wearing the Robe. Uh, the War on Drugs, gosh, I don't know. I think you're, well, you're, you're right. I think I'm right. I don't know why they don't do it. It's a simple solution. George, this situation is now being overcome by the taxpayers, so the the people, it's just amazing. You get back to Bill Clinton, who said, oh, you know, I smoked marijuana but didn't inhale, a national joke. You have uh, George W. Bush, who basically acknowledged using cocaine when he was a playboy, etc. Obama, I read his book before he ran for president, and he acknowledged that he used, co- he used marijuana pretty much regularly. Once they then get into Washington, for some reason they just lose their whole sense of, of of reality, and and things keep getting worse with all of those judges. Even President Trump, when he was running, said, oh, the war on drugs isn't working. He's been there for two years now. Have you seen any change at all? Uh, Nope. Attorney General Sessions was doubling down on what's been proven not to work. We need to stand up and demand that drug prohibition be repealed. It is the biggest failed policy in the history of our country, second only to slavery. Pretty solid condemnation, and I'll stand by it, George. And wouldn't petty crime drop because, you know, some of these thugs don't have to rob somebody for drug money? Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, Switzerland came out with a program where if you were addicted to heroin, you could go into a maintenance system where you could actually be prescribed heroin by a medical doctor. Shoplifting went down eightfold or in the neighborhood surrounding the clinics, wow. uh, the check offenses, all the rest of this stuff? The answer is yes. If you want to reduce crime, repeal drug prohibition, and hold people accountable for their actions, but bring them closer to medical professionals that can help them instead of labeling them criminals and pushing them farther away. It's just self-evident. And I- I've seen it as a, as a federal prosecutor and as a judge. It's just time to get this out there and tell the people in Washington, Sacramento, or wherever, it isn't working. Have the courage to stand up, because now the votes are there. It's just a short question of time. Would you go into law again if you had to do all over again? Oh, yes. It's it really... I, I felt that it was so gratifying as a judge to be able to try to do the right thing for the right reason, and you're able to set up programs. I was... Within six months of 1983, when I was appointed to the municipal court in Orange County, put in the first drug court in the country. And I have a stack of letters that I'm really proud of. You take people off alcohol, and I had letters, for example, Dear Judge Gray, I'm, I was going to divorce my husband. He'd get drunk. He'd, he'd beat me up. He'd be irresponsible with the children. But now that he's off alcohol, you've given me my husband back. You know, how many letters like that do you need to know that you're on the right track? Because we can, the, the purpose of the criminal justice system is not to punish, it's to reduce crime. It's to and reduce what you crime. Need to do is address the basic reasons why people go into crime, like drug addiction, mental illness, uh, that sort of thing. And we can do that. And by and large, we are doing that a great deal more quite successfully. 
Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.